0: Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the dark winter of, of politicized medicine. Dr. Richard Urso, MD, joins me to talk about new COVID case numbers and the NIH pronouncement and impending post-election violence. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned.
1: Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
0: And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may have noticed in the presidential debate between President Trump and he who would be President Biden, as well as during the VP debate, there was reference made to the idea that America is coming up on a very dark winter, a scary winter, a winter where COVID will undoubtedly increase in great numbers, probably gonna be the worst flu season since time began, all sorts of dark prognostications. And obviously, I wanna talk about that in the first five today, not just about whether that's even justified in terms of data we actually know, but an even deeper point, what the message or mission is of the left in sending out those kind of messages to America. To start with, you heard, in fact, I was gonna grab the clip, but I couldn't stand to play it again. But there was a clip in which Vice President Biden, candidate Biden was talking about how he was gonna do things differently with COVID. He was gonna make do things different. And he said, we're gonna, and he pounds his fist on the table and says, until we get rid of this virus and all these fools are clapping and cheering. So I wanna start with that point. The idea that somehow, if there had only been a different president in the United States, that we would be rid of the virus, or we'd have a plan to get rid of the virus, is completely absurd. It's childish that it actually excites some people, that they hear that and think, oh, that's great. Long as we choose Biden for president, we're going to get rid of the virus. He said he's going to make it go away. But somehow, Vice President Biden manages to get mileage out of the idea that we're going to end the virus says he and he says it with a fierce look in his eyes we're going to end the virus people that's ridiculous and to be perfectly clear he's talking about a mask mandate he keeps trying to change his mind saying yes mask mandate no mask mandate yes no yes no whatever you think people want to hear the fact is he and kamala harris are talking about a mask mandate so to state the obvious a mask mandate social distancing, and even ordering everyone to stay at home until further notice, none of those things will end the virus. None of those things. They are simply precautionary measures advised by a, 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 some doctors, but not all doctors, advised by doctors in charge of America's policy, but it is, they are simply devices to try to help people protect themselves from contracting the virus. They do not end the virus. They don't change anything about it. They just may or may not impact whether certain people become afflicted with coronavirus. What I really wanted to hit on is, the reason that President, Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris talk about this idea that we're heading into a dark winter, which by the way, they have no crystal ball. They have no way of knowing that. No way of knowing if COVID will go the way of some viruses which just naturally dissipate or other viruses that multiply, which it has been doing. They have no idea what's going to happen this winter. But what they're trying to do is implant fear in the hearts of the American people. They're trying to get the American people to become increasingly fearful about the virus and about America's future. They're trying to cast aspersions on President Trump to attack him for not having a plan, another big lie the left keeps spewing. In fact, you read some of these left-wing websites, they say, well, you know, the whole problem is, Biden says this, Kamala Harris says it, Trump had no plan. And when either of them are ever pressed, which rarely happens, ever pressed, really, what what is your plan? Every single thing they say, is already something President Trump has been doing and is doing. There's no magic plan. There's no magic power Biden or anyone else has to make the virus go away but they appeal to the childish, immature, vulnerable, and easily manipulable subset of the American people who think somehow, if only we had the right president, we'd never have had this virus. This is what is happening. And it is embarrassing that there are a significant number of people in America who actually listen to Biden and Kamala Harris and say, oh, I'm going with them. They have a plan. Check yourself, everything they write down, They say their plan are things that President Trump has already been doing. Unless you wanna count a mask mandate until who knows when, what they're proposing as their plan is just simply the same things that have already been discussed and practiced in America. But the other thing the left is doing in this whole notion is they are planting the seed in the minds of the American people that a health threat, a health crisis legitimizes and justifies taking away the freedom of the people, taking away your constitutional right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the unspoken argument of Biden, Kamala Harris, and all the leftists supporting them, is that when there's a crisis, and this isn't even a crisis, as we've been over many times on the show, but when there's a crisis, all of us simply should recognize oh, time to surrender our liberty, time to surrender our individual rights to attend church, our right to free speech, our right to free assembly, our right to run our businesses, to own private property, to develop our businesses. All of that, we are told, we just, we are being taught by the radical left to simply surrender because there is a health crisis called COVID. You know, the, the, uh, to be very clear, everything the left is proposing, either Trump's already done or we've done it in some varying degree, and none of those things make the virus go away. None of those things, in Biden's words, end the virus. They are making fools of the American people, the left is, by convincing people that somehow if you'd only chosen the right president, none of this would have happened. And you know, our founders, Americans' founders, have this radical idea we've talked about many times on the show that the governance of a free people, the power, the core power that runs a country of free people is we the people. The founders actually recognized they were entrusting the American people with the right of self-governance. The whole concept of we are smart enough, we're capable enough, we can have self-governance, we the people govern ourselves. So we elect a legislature and they make laws. And we have a, an executive branch and, and they enforce the laws. Then we have courts, which if they ever would stay in their own lane, only interpret laws. But the whole concept of America was the idea that we Americans have the right to, be, uh, to self-governance. What the left is teaching America in this whole episode with COVID in 2020 is that you're not really going, you don't really have the capacity, the ability, the, the, uh, the, you can't govern yourselves. You have to be told how to take care of yourselves. Even, and I tell you, I'm getting at this point, I want to to just drive it home today. The whole COVID threat, the coronavirus threat, has been politicized by the American left with the goal of cementing and increasing the power of government, cementing and increasing the tyranny the left wishes to impose on the American people. The uh, whole idea that we'll somehow surrender all of our freedom just for this illusion, this false illusion of safety and being taken care of. I'll make one other point in this first five and wrap it up. So we had, you know, all of this, it's bad enough what the government is doing in terms of limiting our freedom, telling us when we can leave our houses, what we have to wear, do we have to socially distance, when we can go to work, whether we have to stay at home, whether we're allowed to go outside or not, whether we can have Thanksgiving dinner with our families, inside with whoever we wanna have at our house, bad enough the government's using this this COVID problem that has a 99% survival rate, it's it's not this deadly plague that we first thought it was, but we're even accepting censoring, censoring by social media, by the big tech giants. We have interviews I've done on this show, interviews by other talk show hosts taken down, and you get a scolding too in the email, by the way, you get a scolding saying your posting violates the uh, our community standards. You're spreading things that, that may not be true, and so we're gonna take your, your um, posting down. There was even a posting I'll mention, wrapping up the first five a posting, by uh, Bill Walton. He's a long time known, very serious, hardly a you know a, a hothead at all. He's a very serious, substantive, conservative leader for decades. Bill Walton has his own show, and he, on his show, interviewed a guy who was one of three authors that wrote a new book called The Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. So he, Bill Walton, interviews this guy named Jay Richards, who wrote a book with two other people, with a mathematician and a scientist, who's a professor of statistics, and another professor who is a professor of molecular biology. Three of them wrote a book essentially about the exaggeration of the American political response to coronavirus and how it's actually been very detrimental to our country, turning a pandemic into a catastrophe. Even that, that kind of interview, substantive, serious, serious book, taken down by YouTube as inconsistent with their their uh, standards, their community standards. I just, and wrapping up my first five, I wanna say this. Eventually the virus will go away, or we may have mutations and other viruses will come along. But we are watching the American left use this virus as a means of acquiring political power, expanding their Tyranny from Washington and worse than that, which is bad enough, but they're changing the perception of the American people about what is fair and right for government to do. What is government justified to do and doing to protect your health? We're being convinced to surrender our liberty and give the government more power to impose tyrannical rules because we're not paying attention to the facts, and we've been so duped into a just a, a epidemic of fear in this country, and it is precisely the purpose of the left's focus on this virus, the left's spreading of this politicized medicine, the words, oh, you're gonna have a worse season ever, we're gonna have a terrible flu season, and a terrible COVID virus season. The point of it is to spread fear because when people are fearful, tyrants win, and individual people surrender their freedom that's what we're up against in this virus at this time and that my very fine friends is today's first five as i mentioned before we started the show today we have a guest joining us he's going to join us on skype you'll see his face in just one moment Uh, dr richard urso is based in houston texas and he is we're going to talk with him about two issues probably more than two but two at least i definitely want to talk with him about Uh, One is all the headlines we keep seeing in the media about the number of new cases of COVID and how fearful we should be about that. And number two is the most unbelievable uh, publication by, I would use the right word, a guidance published by the National Institute of Health regarding the use of therapeutics, meaning medications for COVID-19. So without further ado, I believe we have Dr.
1: Richard Urso online. And there he is. Hey, Debbie, how are you? i, I got to make a comment about something, you know, the political overreaction that you talked about. Um, I, I, early on, the draconian measures never made sense from the very earliest time. Uh, it never should have happened this way. The The medical response was an underreaction, and the political response was an overreaction. There's never a reason we should have locked down. Uh, John Ioannidis from Stanford knew right away, um, some of us in medicine knew right away that there was treatment for this disease early on. Uh, it's very easy, if you break this down in its component parts, there's an infection, there's inflammation, there's breathing problems, and there's um, blood clots. It's very easy to treat blood clots as an outpatient, you know, aspirin. It's very easy to treat breathing problems. You know, we have all kinds of things we use for asthma. Guess what? They work for COVID. Uh, budesonide and other inhalers. Um, inflammation, there's steroids, hydroxychloroquine, many drugs. And on the infection side, it was quite clear there was a lot of candidate drugs. Protease inhibitors, hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, doxycycline, azrythromycin. Um, there was other Fenofibrate came to mind for me. Um, there's a, there's a colchicine. There's a few things that I thought might work early on, but hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine jumped to the forefront. And it seemed to me to be silly that we weren't treating early on. We were telling doctors to go home. The political overreaction of lockdowns, masks, social distancing, wait for a vaccine, that never made sense either for a variety of reasons. It's an unsustainable model. Um, you can't sustain society with that kind of a model. As it turned out, the disease um, was quite clear early on. And Eonetes figured it out, I think, in February. Um, it was I was talking to people overseas, and it was quite clear to me that it was only old people that were dying, for the most part, in big, big numbers. The rest of the population, it was quite clear in March, I'm talking about, that everyone else had comorbidities. Um, it was quite clear they had diabetes, kidney disease, other things. So all the things we now know are true were true in March. So it was an overreaction from the beginning. Anybody who says different is lying.
0: Well, that was great. I was gonna say that. Well, you covered a lot of my questions, but I'm still gonna dive in anyway. Because I was (laughs) gonna say, early, early on, there were really bad prognostications made uh, out of, in England, there was uh, one uh, alleged expert related who uh, talks and makes models about infectious diseases and how it's going to impact and what numbers of people might die and what numbers of people are going to need uh, ICU beds. Massive overestimate, uh, estimations made out of both this outfit in, in England, as well as in America, two sources in America. And very early on, we figured out uh, and they actually retracted their numbers and said, you know, actually it's not nearly as bad as we thought. But somehow that very first fearful kickoff is like, that's what stayed as the standard uh, assumption and the the way the assumption of facts on the ground that caused us to move forward and make the policies that we did. It's it's like we never adjusted the reality of our treatments to with a number
1: sorry, go ahead. No, you made a good point. I mean, Neil Ferguson, he's made a career out of overestimating pandemics. He's done this over and over again. I've always been interested in public policy a political science degree originally. Um, So I've always followed this stuff. He's made a career out of this. He's never been accurate. I can tell you, go back through his record, uh, go back through it all the way back to the the early 2000s, he's he's overestimated by logarithmic units of uh, every single pandemic that's ever occurred. So when he said it, I didn't even pay attention to it. I listened to Ian he's a genius, stats guy out of Stanford, and he called it right away. Uh, I think it was uh, early March, and said, you know, we're not going to have this is we're, their numbers are track the, the measures are draconian, um, and he's been right ever since. And and basically knowing that there was treatment right away, I knew knowing there was treatment that it, it should never have gone on this long. And like I said, I think um, that's probably the thing I'd say about about the early measures. You you had the estimates made by this guy, and, and our people here in our United States just followed his model. And the guys never made an estimate that was not overestimated. Made a career out of it.
0: It's an amazing thing. So let's just actually talk about the NIH thing first. So you mentioned, I couldn't write down everything you said, but you mentioned various treatments we've had on this show. Dr. Richard Bartlett from Midland who talked about inhaled budesonides for people struggling breathing. Uh, These are treatments for asthma, and it's a steroid, and he found it to be highly efficacious in helping relieve people's breathing struggles. And then hydroxychloroquine, we had other rembiscidir, I can't even pronounce all of them, other treatments other therapies that doctors are using and finding successful. And and we've had them on, not only mentioned Dr. Bartlett, we had Dr. Simone Gold, we've had, uh, and now you're joining us. So I wanna ask you, so in this, for our listeners, who don't know this, you can, by the way, my friends, my listeners, you can read this on our website, go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage shows, drop down list of links, there's articles in there. There's a National Institute of Health, NIH guidance on therapeutics, for COVID-19 patients, updated October 9th. And it says essentially it recommends against any form of treatment for patients with mild to moderate COVID-19 symptoms who do not require supplemental oxygen, which is the ventilator. So they're basically saying they recommend doctors prescribe nothing to COVID-19 patients unless they're sick enough to need to be on oxygen. So, Dr. Erso, does that make any sense to you?
1: Should I laugh? I mean, <laughs> that, that's, um, you know, this is, this is insane. Um, we never do this. This is the, be the only disease in history that we decided not to treat patients. As I said earlier, it's a very simple disease. There's breathing issues. My very first patient in March, middle of March, before Trump ever said anything, I looked at the data set and I said, you know, hydroxychloroquine makes a lot of sense, as erythromycin. I got, on a, I got on a feed with somebody from France, they were doing it there, um, and, and it, I, I gave it to three people, a family, and, um, and it worked quite well for the wife, for the son, but the, the husband was, um, was actually quite, uh, had a difficulty breathing, and so I made a call, like I remember he was about day seven into it, and I said, you know, viral loads usually drop off after day seven, so he probably doesn't have a, viral, a high viral load, he probably has more of a, an inflammatory response. So I decided to use Budesonite. And within a couple hours, his his breathing issue significantly improved. And we used the nebulizer. Um, I've used the inhaler over-the-counter also. Uh, but it's an amazing uh, combination of things. It works quite well. And the only thing I'd say, and somebody who has this now, is we add in aspirin because we know blood clots are a big deal. Um, and I think that, that pretty much... Um, helps uh, most people. That would be a very, very good regimen for 99% of people who are ill, especially if you had comorbidities. I mean, it makes no sense to wait until you get ill. It's just you're letting the disease progress. You're letting... So I don't know if you know this, Debbie, but there's something called disease tolerance. So it's not just about controlling the pathogen. It's also about mitigating the the damage to yourself. So you want to, in a sense, um, you know, Kids don't get as affected because they don't have as many ACE2 receptors, and so disease mitigation occurs because of decreased ACE2 receptors. But for most of us, one of the things we could do if we're if we tend to be in a category where we're overreacting the cytokine storm, you can mitigate some of that stuff with steroids, with other things like hydroxychloroquine, it's a great anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So you mitigate the damage, and you do that early. You don't wait until damage. Uh, it's like a cascade of events, you know, knocking over dominoes. It's really And I consider it almost criminal against the Hippocratic Oath. What I usually say is we need sense, not nonsense, science, not science fiction, and doctors, we need the Hippocratic Oath, not hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy for a doctor to actually go and not treat a patient. It's it's literally everything that we shouldn't be for.
0: I was gonna ask you on this subject, it's such a, I mean, I will tell you, Simone Gold, Dr. Simone Gold, whom I know, Dr. Ursa, you know also, She was in the show last week and she happened, she was here wherever day that was, Wednesday, and later in the evening called to say, cause this announcement, I'm talking about this NIH announcement had just come out or she just become aware of it. And she said, you you almost took your breath away thinking, what are they saying here? So let me ask, leaving aside the specifics of this, uh, the therapies which you're aware of, do you know of other diseases that doctors in this country are told by the NIH, don't give any patient any therapies until they're extremely ill. Has this ever happened any other disease to your knowledge?
1: Debbie, this has never, never happened. It's never happened. It's never been, been suggested to happen. Obviously you want to do no harm. If we don't have a remedy for something, we don't do anything. We obviously have remedies for breathing, for inflammation, for, for infection, for blood clots. It, it, it makes no sense. It's never happened before. And I, I just want to add one thing. We have an illustrious group of people who have worked on this. Um, you know, you have some of the top people from you know Harvard, um, Stanford, Yale. Um, this is not something where you don't have a strong group of people that have been working on this. Um, we now have an outpatient protocol that is is very well detailed on how to treat patients as an outpatient. It'll It'll sort of be a a, a blueprint for everyone who wants to use it all the docs who want a, a, some kind of protocol, it's gonna be published. Um, it's actually right there in Dallas, Peter McCullough is, is kind of heading this up for us. Um, he came out with the American Frontline Doctors and presented this information for us the second, on our second summit. And It's a very uh, well detailed protocol that anybody in the world can use to treat patients early and successfully and safely.
0: Okay, you mentioned America's frontline doctors and want to mention that to our listeners, at the close of our interview with Dr. Gold last week, she mentioned, if you want any information, Americas, and you have to listen very carefully to get it correct, because you, to get the name of the website uh, correct, because there's already competing websites trying to pull you away and sell the leftist mission, the, the leftist storyline, but Americas, A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S, doctors.com. So she, so, She and others you're describing, Dr. McCall and others, put this together and you can get all this information you need about uh, children, elderly people, uh, all sorts of, they have little videos and the struggle they have had to even keep that website up. Because what they have is a particular doctor or topic and you should be able to click on it and it takes you to a video. And they explain in very simple terms, whatever the issue is, they run through like any person could follow. And they have, had. Repeated uh, instances of, I don't know if, I mean, I know Vimeo was one of them, but various platforms simply taking the videos down. So the website's up, but you can't see the videos. I believe it's back up today. But this is another thing I want to, again, to Dr. Erso and ask you. Social media is interfering in ways I have never seen before, interfering with doctors saying that, speaking the truth you're saying, you're trying to tell people taking down the videos for America's frontlinedoctors.com. and you know, these people pulling down videos who work for Vimeo or YouTube or Facebook are not doctors. Do you have any idea, what is your, the reason you, do you have a speculation why these videos is so hard to keep correct information about COVID up online?
1: Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on that. For one, the, the, the term they usually use is doesn't agree with World Health Organization standards or something like that. I didn't know they were the purveyors of all scientific truth. In general, um, I do have some other thoughts for you that I'll, I'll give to you in a second, but I, I think censorship cannot be tolerated because it's in order for science to go forward, it's necessary for the, the, the security of scientific thought for us to have a competing and differing opinion sometimes. It fosters public discussion. I think a lot of times... It allows um, us to pressure the government and other agencies into doing the right thing. So you really have to stop censorship. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to do that. These are, these are, these are things that just shouldn't be happening. Um, now, why is it happening? Um, there is an incredible amount of money in vaccines and antivirals. Um, they stopped, uh, for instance, in, in France, they pulled hydroxychloroquine off the counter in October of last year. Uh, calling it a class two poison. Well, it's the safe. It's probably the safest drug in history. And all I can say is, what I, what I, all I can pin to is that hydroxychloroquine is the linchpin, and that's why they have attacked it so much. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little thought on it. Um, uh, is that basically it, 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 it affects uh, viruses by something called endosomal acidification. It's basically like uh, there's a little trash bag that the viruses have to go into once they get into a cell. So hydroxychloroquine will block the virus from getting in the cell a little bit but eventually the virus is going to get in and what it does is it, it it prevents and stunts the growth of viral particles so viruses can't really make good particles so what ends up happening is a person who's on hydroxychloroquine is going to make uh, attenuated stunted particles they'll they'll get immunity they may get mildly sick or not sick at all and basically it's kind of vaccine-like um in a sense and if people do uh, are pcr positive they always look for pcr positive because hydroxychloroquine is always gonna allow some viral particles to be made. So if I was gonna design a trial to show that it doesn't work, I would always check for PCR rather than illness or hospitalization. But at the end of the day, what I've been telling everybody is the reason it's being attacked so much, it kills an industry better than it kills the virus. It eliminates the need for vaccines. It eliminates the needs for um, antivirals and vaccines for the most part. It cuts the whole industry, Tamiflu, COVID vaccine, Um, Flu vaccine, it works on all these uh, RNA airborne viruses. And I think that's what the major attack has been on that particular drug.
0: That is, I like that line too. It kills the uh, industry worse than it kills, even more so than it kills the virus. Okay, so this is, but this is our NIH and this is our federal government. First of all, your taxpayer dollars go to Washington to fund NIH, to fund the research they do, the salaries of people who work there, everything, all the expenses involved with NIH are funded by taxpayers. And so there is, coming out of NIH, literal advice, guidance, they call it, that is telling doctors not to prescribe things. In fact, the exact language, I have no specific antiviral or immuno, okay, I can't even say the word, immunomodulatory therapy is recommended for COVID-19 patients who are not hospitalized So if you're not hospitalized they're saying don't give them any medication or who are hospitalized without requiring oxygen so basically unless they need oxygen don't give them any medications at all i mean actually isn't that advice if it's closely followed doctor wouldn't that actually result in the death of some people who might otherwise be saved by the therapies that we're talking about like hydroxychloroquine
1: i want to answer that question in two parts first of all i want to help you with the fact that the biggest funders for the NIH, CDC, and the FDA and Fauci's group are the drug companies. And nobody has to draw them a map to know that when they get done there, they have good jobs waiting for them on sitting on board the drug companies. So if you want to know why this is happening, uh, you don't have to be a genius to figure out, follow the money trail. That's the first thing. So it's not all taxpayer-funded. Um, Fauci has, I think, four patents on remdesivir himself. So, um, and uh, that's fine. I mean, you you know, I don't mind that. I mean, uh, let people be uh, uh, creative and and figure out things and that's great, but at the end of the day, it's polluting, it's polluting the policy. Um, And unfortunately now what we're seeing is, we're we're seeing policy coming out of there, which literally, as we talked about, doesn't make any sense from a a medical standpoint. We have treatments that are quite successful. Um, As you said, will lots of patients die? Well, let me say this. Lots of patients have already died because of the policies, and this was not necessary. It was quite clear in March that these things could mitigate the disease and actually save a lot of lives. So are more people going to die by this new policy of the NIH? Absolutely. Is it going to be tens of thousands? Well, let me let me say this to you. I looked at the data on this over pandemics over the last hundred and so years. And so what we see is, you know, we saw a big peak in March and followed by a small peak about 110 days later. And in all the big pandemics, that's what you see. A large peak early on when when there's lots of susceptibles, and then a small peak as it makes its way through the population and goes into other areas. Uh, And you see it about 110 days later in all the big pandemics, that's what you see over and over. And we're on the back end of the small peak. So the pandemic's over. We now have what I would call a case-demic. Lots of cases, for instance, 70,000 college kids were had cases three hospitalizations zero deaths okay so lots of cases but we we, the pandemic is now a casemic and and this is kind of a tongue twister but the disease is endemic in the population so we're going to see small pockets of disease we're going to have maybe a local area in some communities maybe in missouri or wherever where they're going to see a lot of cases but when you look at the totality of the united states of america you're not gonna get pandemic-type levels. It's not gonna happen.
0: Okay, so that actually segues well into my other big topic I wanna to hit with you. And, and my first five, I was talking about this. I see the whole American policy response to COVID-19, to the coronavirus, as something the left pounced on as an opportunity to expand power, expand tyranny, change the American populist perception of what the basic promise of freedom, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness means to where we are surrendering our liberty and allowing more and more government tyranny out of fear. And so we have a pandemic of fear in this country, worse than the pandemic at this point of COVID-19. But what I wanna ask you is, there are all these different uh, headlines. I mean, you see them every day in headline in newspapers around the country. Here's just one I happen to pick out at a breaking point, new surge of COVID-19 cases has states, hospitals scrambling yet again. So people see the headline, new cases, and they point to that and say, this proves that the policies we've embraced were not being stringently enforced enough. This proves that we have not done a good enough job handling this disease because we have new cases. And so there are a lot of answers to that, but do do these headlines about new cases Dr. Urso, do they prove that somehow our policy in this country was not effective in dealing with the virus?
1: I think the best way to do is look at the data. And when we look at the totality of the United States, we see a large peak in March and a small peak in July. We're at the bottom end of the small peak. I've actually got a graph here. I don't know if you can show it on the camera, but I'll try because we're at the bottom end of the peak nationally. You're gonna have pockets of disease. That's why I say it's endemic. But um, in fact, I won't show it. I can I can send it to you, and I'll, and I'll I'll let you show it to your audience another day. But I think it's basically we have peak when we uh, in March large peak, and now we've got a smaller peak, and 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 we're on the back end of this smaller peak. Um, that's just the data. That's 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 not anybody, that's the CDC's data. So. Um, you, can, you, can, you can scream about it all you want, but this is just the CDC's data that, that we're at the bottom end of the second peak, um, a much smaller peak, and it is what it is. The data uh, it shows in the t- totality of the country where the death rate is extremely low.
0: That's what I get at. So cases doesn't mean death rate. Cases doesn't mean hospitalization. Cases doesn't necessarily mean a at all a stretch on or a potential threat of a shortage of ICU beds. Cases just means people testing positive, right? I've
1: got some funny stuff to tell you about that. You wanna hear it? Absolutely. Okay. So cases, um, when you say somebody's got cancer, right? You, you expect to see a mass of some sort, right? So if somebody has a case, they'd be sick, right? So what we've done though is we've taken this test called PCR and we've, we've attributed that a positive test is PCR, it, it means you're, you're sick, all right? So I'm gonna quickly go over this for you. PCR means that you found a particle of, the, of, the, of something that matched the virus. But let me give you an example. When you, when you do the cycles on this, you go, um, each time you double the rate. So by the time you get to 20 cycles, you've got a million pieces of material. When you get to 30, you've got a billion. When you get to 40, you've got a trillion. So we're looking at these small, tiny little particles, which are non-infectious, and they're letting these cycle rates run up to 40. So most of these people that are cases are not sick, number one, like I told you, 70,000 kids, three hospitalizations in college. So those cases are just particles of virus that, if anything, they're so small, they're not causing disease. And if they are particles of the actual virus rather than a piece of chromosome made in our own body that matches it. If they are particles of that, they're actually spreading immunity, not spreading disease, okay? If those, those people running around as cases with no, no symptoms are spreading around small particles which are, are non-infectious and are actually spreading immunity. Um, lastly, I've got to tell you a funny story. The president of Tanzania didn't believe this stuff because he seen so many people positive who weren't sick. So he, he took a, a swab and he swabbed a goat, a quail, and a pawpodge the fruit and all three came back positive (laughs) oh gosh take these back and i joke about it because you know none of the 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 papa wasn't sick papa was healthy you know so um but bottom line is like we're looking at something and driving fear with a test that has 90 percent false positives because they've allowed the doubling to get up to a trillion pieces and when you stop when you hold it at 24 you're getting real deal. You're getting particles that are big enough to be whole viruses. Anything over 24 is very rare to be able to grow viral particles. But I think it's okay. Like if you said to me, what do you recommend? I'd say if you go up to a rate of 30, you're going to catch a few false positives, but that's okay. We, we don't, we don't want to let stuff slip through. But when you let it go up to 40, you're basically creating fear. You're creating a pandemic of fear. All those are, And all those people at those levels are non-infectious particles, if they are even there, true particles and those are spreading immunity, not disease.
0: Okay, so I wanna confirm the last few little bits of data. Um, we had we talked about this before in the show, but the CDC has put out data, frequently put out data relating to death rates. And one point was, essentially for most Americans, if you're not, if you don't have comorbidity and you're not over whatever it is, 70 or 80, you pretty much have a 99% survival rate, even if you get COVID, is that right? 99.997. Yeah, so almost everyone, unless you have comorbidities, okay, survives. And, and, and then the second one, all these this point about all these cases, the reason I wanted to ho- hone in on it was, and thank you for that detailed explanation and that story. But people who say they're all the the headlines that say cases are going up does not mean we have an increased number of sick people headed to their deathbed. It just means yeah. people who tested positive. Correct.
1: Correct. So. In a couple of countries, like in the Netherlands, they actually have more cases now with 10 times less deaths, 10 times less deaths. So they, they have more positive cases. Uh, again, I wish I could show the graphs for you. That'd be beautiful because it's just pictures worth a thousand words. And basically, you're getting lots of cases and very, very few deaths because those cases, those aren't really cases. you got to remember, those aren't cases. Those are PCR positive. They're not, none of those people are sick.
0: I okay. mean,
1: 90% of them aren't sick.
0: Yeah, okay, well, you know, next time we do this, I will take, I love charts. I'm big into visuals, charts, graphs. I had one, but I forgot to send it to Derek, so I can't put it up either. But it was a chart, I think, from the CDC, but it was basically about daily COVID. It was about occupancy, available beds, COVID tests, basically saying, we don't have a crisis in this country, of shortage of hospital beds, short of ICU beds, and we are at the tail end, as you were saying, of this coronavirus. Um, I hate to even use the word pandemic, Coronavirus uh, infection of America. So, Dr. Urso, I first of all, I don't know. I know I mentioned the Americas, frontline Is there anyone else people can go anywhere else they can go to hear more from you about this um, about COVID and and the way we're handling it in America?
1: Well, you know, I've worked with American Frontline Doctors. That's my that's the site we use. But I have a, I post a lot of material on Twitter at Richard Urso M.D is my uh hashtag at richard or md and I, I put a lot of this in, information out there and i'm happy to share please reach out um we can do this together uh it's we the people as you said and it's uh this pandemic the social marxism and the cultural marxism that we're going through right now uh and these guys are using fear to try to drive this pandemic and, and i'm just really disappointed in that and at the end of the day we just got to stick to the science um uh, The data is there. Pandemic is on, the, as I said, is is the case-demic, but clearly there are endemic features, which means there's small amounts of cases going on in the country, no question, but not, not at pandemic levels, 10 times lower than what they were. Dr. Richard Urso, thank you so
0: much for taking time out of your day to join me. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Okay, my friends, we're gonna have that guy back because that's actually, he explains things really well, which I really do appreciate. I wanna hit one more topic today. And I do know, yes, I do know that we are one week away from the election today. And I think, you know, on this show, I'm always trying to really focus on current events and a week week before the election, but actually this show today talking about COVID as we have been so far is directly tied to the election, is directly tied to the messaging from the American left how they're using COVID, and you just heard Dr. Urso use the expression, we are beginning, we're falling over the cliff into cultural Marxism and eventually a Marxist agenda of the American left, which they have just happened onto the COVID uh, infection in our country as a means to justify increased government control over our country. And we have to recognize the left is using it. I wanna repeat the points in the first five before I hit my last topic. When Joe Biden looks in the camera and Kamala Harris, look in the camera and they say, we're gonna end this virus, no one can do that. It is like someone promising, we're gonna end uh, hurricanes. We're gonna, I mean, they have no ability to do that. And they know. They are lying to the American people. When leftists like Biden and Kamala Harris and the other people in media who constantly repeat their lies when they say, well, you know, it's because Trump had no plan, Trump, took the advice and followed the advice of the officials, the doctors, NIH, CDC doctors, whose job it is to create policy. This is what Trump did. At the same time that the left, including Biden and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and others, were mocking President Trump and calling him a xenophobe and, and mocking and ridiculing him for trying to prevent the virus coming to America. He's trying to take the steps on the advice of Dr. Fauci while the left is mocking him and now they're running a campaign this fall on the argument you should have gone you know Trump didn't have a plan it's all his fault and everything that Biden and Harris propose are things we've already been doing they have no plan they have no magic way to make COVID go away they just think they can dupe ignorant voters, and they are succeeding, sadly. Some ignorant voters actually listen to them and think, oh, wow, if only we had, you know, Hillary Clinton been president, if only Joe Biden, if only Kamala, we would never have, we would have stopped this in its tracks. There's just no ability to do that. And there's just the idea that American people are treated as such mental five-year-olds by the American left and duped into thinking, well, the whole reason we have COVID is because Donald Trump No, folks, we have COVID because China, whatever they did, and we will get to the bottom and find out what they did, but whatever China did, they were the source of this virus. They were the source of it spread around the world, the source of lying to the World Health Organization about it. World Health Organization lied about it. And we've had the American people, along with others in the world, dealing with the virus. And you've had a... a, a, Throughout the time we've had the virus, you've had advice from doctors, and what we're honing in on today and wrapping up this topic for today, you have doctors around this country like Dr. Richard Urso, like Dr. Simone Gold, Dr. Richard Bartlett, and the doctors who are all putting their names and faces up on AmericasFrontlineDoctors.com, telling the world, putting their faces and names out there to say, here is a situation. Here is how we handle it. You do not need to be so panicked. You have Simone Gold explaining how masks do no good at all to prevent the spread of the virus. No good at all. Neither does social distancing do any good at all. We, in our personal life, we have, we, my husband and I, know one couple who has been completely, no, two couples completely shut in, going nowhere the entire time COVID has been around, getting groceries delivered and spraying them down. And both couples, both the husband and the wife came down with COVID and they got over it. But the point is, the idea that somehow some magic solution, if only we had Joe Biden, could have made COVID go away is beyond idiotic and it's embarrassing that the Democrat Party's assessment of the American people, the American voting population, is so so condescending, is so assuming them to be just such mental midgets, that they can be duped into voting for Biden because he said Trump doesn't have a plan and I do, when Biden has no plan at all that was not already in Trump's plan people this is i mean you can argue policy of all kinds about trade deals and tax rates and immigration policy and border wall policy places where there's substantive differences in the way the parties see issues and those are legitimate political debates but the idea that biden could win one voter over by claiming I could end the virus and Trump doesn't have a plan, but I do, when Biden has no plan that Trump didn't already do, is beyond absurd, beyond absurd. The American people, I hope, are smarter than Joe Biden thinks they are. One last topic for today. I called it impending post-election violence. And I just want to tell you some things um, that's really important to understand. America is you know we're one week away from the election we have already in washington dc we have the boarding up of stores of store windows glass windows uh, in in the streets of washington dc also in the streets of beverly hills in los angeles we have the police ahead of time telling shop owners board up your windows Do not be open election day. Do not open day after election. Stay home until we tell you it's safe because the police and the authorities in this country are picking up all the chatter of the radical anti-American Marxist left that they intend to do great harm to America if Trump wins. I I sent to Derek just a few pictures of these. I mean, you would think this is what you might be doing because you're in the path of a tornado and so you have a hurricane coming or a tornado coming and you had enough warning the hurricane but this is washington dc i can't remember if this is washington or chicago or someplace there's another picture too one more all of these pictures are in the streets of america businesses having to board up their windows because the police the fbi All of the national law enforcement agencies are picking up, it's not just underground chatter. It's not just whisper underground chatter. It's very public pronouncements by anti-American leftists in this world, in this country, that they intend to destroy the country unless they get Trump out. They intend to cause havoc in the cities. They intend to continue to increase the riots, property destruction, window smashing, unless they get their candidate. They think they're entitled to remove President Trump because they don't like him. So if Trump wins the election a week from today, or if it isn't settled, or if it looks trite like Trump won, unless the left is completely happy with the outcome of the election, they are threatening violence. The same groups who've been involved in funding, organizing, and spreading violence in this country allegedly related to George Floyd's death, having actually nothing to do with George Floyd's death, but the Black Lives Matter Marxist movement, the Antifa organization, many other radical left-wing groups in this country have been destroying cities in this country for months, and it is all coming from the left. And now we're this close to the election, and people in major cities have to board up their windows. You know, I'll tell you something, folks. I went to law school in Washington, D.C., and, um, So it's obviously grad school. So I'm in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown, and there are other graduate schools of international relations. Many international students come to Georgetown. So I was there during a presidential election year. And we learned a story from some of the grad students, not the law school, but grad students were telling us that some of the international students had said to them, were asking them as this election day was coming up, where are you going to go to get away during the elections? Where are you going to hide? Where do you go? Or You have to go to, is Virginia far enough away? And the grad students are saying, what are you even talking about? What, What are you talking about? And these foreign students said, every time we have presidential elections in our countries, We have violence we have murder and mayhem and destruction in the cities so everyone knows get out of the capital city during the election to which our american grad students at georgetown said oh it's not like that here this is america we have the peaceful transition of power Everyone knows we have election day, and then whoever wins, everybody goes along with it. You realize that's who won. That's how we do it here. You don't have to leave. But we are in a place, my friends, in 2020, where people are thinking exactly the same thing. Our friends in Washington, wanting to get knowing they can't go their businesses they can't go their offices they've got to get out of the city because it isn't safe same with cities around this country especially democrat-run cities seattle chicago the big democrat run cities are all worried and even in beverly hills even in los angeles beverly hills they are boarding up windows because they know the radical anti-american left is planning on trashing america unless they get rid of Trump. And I wanna to talk to you about how consequential that is. It is one thing to have peaceful protests, but what has happened in the last three years under Trump, not Trump's fault, not even 1% Trump's fault, not even a, 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 a speck of fault lies the Trump administration. The fault in all of this lies with the anti-American Marxist socialist left in this country that has been working for a 100 years to bring the Marxist overthrow of this country. They see this election time as their time. They see it as their opportunity, their time, and they're going to do it. They do not respect the idea of America, the concept of we the people governing, the idea of rightful elections bringing results. They don't agree. They're not okay with that. If you could prove there wasn't one bit of vote fraud in this country, you'd still have the left at this time saying, we're entitled to rule. And people, the Democrat Party owns this violence. They do not get to get away by saying, well, we're the Democrats, You know, we're the uh, political party, we don't know who these other people are over here, the protesters, the rioters, the, the mobsters, the murderers, the people committing arson, we don't know who they are, we're the Democrats. Those people, the mobsters, the violent, the thugs, the murderers, they are the arm of the Democrat Party. They're doing the bidding of the Democrat Party. They are committing that violence because they think it will ultimately intimidate enough Americans so that our response will be, okay, okay, if we just agree Trump leaves, if we just agree with what your demands are, whatever they are, will you stop? This is what the leftists think. They think if they commit enough violence, enough threats, they make enough people afraid that some Americans will come around to saying, okay, 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 give them what they want because we want peace. And people, it doesn't work that way. It's like negotiating with a terrorist. The left in this country does not want America as founded to continue. They do not want to have representative government with we the people. They want to have a radical, leftist, Marxist-controlled government. And they see this as their opportunity. That's what's happening in this country. I'm going to tell you a few other things about details about post-election violence. There's a website called DonaldTrump.Watch. Another one called Racist.Watch. And on these websites, leftists who are using their... They are so determined to take down Trump, to destroy America, to destroy America's founded, that what they have on these websites is they've taken what's always been publicly available data, publicly available data about campaign contributions. So who sends campaign contributions to which candidates is under federal law publicly accessible? So these people have these radical anti-American tyrant Marxist leftists have created these websites with the idea that they go into the data in Washington, they find out, oh, okay, who's donated to Donald Trump? Who sent a check to Donald Trump? This election cycle, last election cycle, who's donated to other Republicans they hate? Then they gather that data and organize it by zip code. So you can go on these websites, and so can the radical tyrannical violent marxist left go on these websites put in a zip code and lo and behold up pops up the address of every and the name and the address of every individual who's donated to the trump campaign this time or last time as a friend of mine texted me on the way here what could go wrong how could this possibly be used well you can understand there are all sorts of black lives matter radical antifa training happening in this country right now and the idea after the election of using these websites picking a zip code put whatever number of people in charge okay this little faction of marxist terrorists who are supporting the Democrat party, they are gonna take care of this zip code and they're gonna take care of this zip code and somebody else is gonna take care of this zip code. They have managed to assemble in these websites the locations of Trump donors, like their names and their addresses. And so tell me the good reason, tell me if if I were speaking in person, what is the good reason anyone would do this? Is there a noble reason, a, a legitimate reason? Clearly not. This is designed to enable them to spread information to everyone. So you know now you're the Marxist, you know, radical left, America-hating Antifa Black Lives Matter person or group in this area. And you've got these zip codes assigned to you and you know who. It's, it's the The obvious purpose is designed to permit easy intimidation of Trump supporters. That's one thing going on. You have online publication by another organization talking about where they're going to protest, what they're going to do. Also, actually I sent Derek, uh, he can put it up really quickly for you. This is a text message, it had to be in two parts it's so long, from the Beverly Hills Police Department, sent out to the people of beverly hills beverly hills police department strongly suggests all rodeo drive businesses board up on monday november 2nd all boards must be completed by 11 pm rodeo drive is going to be closed starting midnight from that moment on there'll be no cars or pedestrians allowed on rodeo drive cement k rail okay i read the whole thing the point is the beverly hills police department were at the place like the freaking third world countries are where we have to give notices to businesses that you better shut down because the radical marxists in america are going to come and destroy your business if they don't like the outcome of the election people we have a major problem on our hands it's not enough to get through election day i truly think Donald trump is going to win re-election but i think the left is so geared up so geared up to try to destroy America that this get just getting over that day is not going to nearly be enough I was on a conference call this morning learning a little bit more about this For example, just in the state of Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area They have got an extended deadline to allow mail-in ballots mail-in fraud Which is that mail the mail-in ballot scheme the left is using is mail-in fraud votes They've got a ruling now that says that they, uh, they, they've extended the deadline to let uh, votes be, uh, the mail in ballots be accepted. They've gotten rid of signature verification. No one's going to be verifying the signature, so it doesn't match, so what? They have no postmark. If, if the mail in ballot is no postmark, it must be accepted. And they have now gotten a ruling no observers so you have democrats in in philadelphia counting mail-in ballots after election day is over pennsylvania a huge swing state and you have those people able to say wait how many votes do we need how many votes do we need to to win this state oh we need you know 3217 okay we can come up with that no observers no postmark required no signature verification And it isn't just Philadelphia I'm talking about. The point in telling you this story is that the left is determined they are going to take Trump out. And it's not because they love Biden, They certainly don't love Kamala Harris, but the left is determined to take Trump out because Trump stopped the leftist march toward the takeover of America, started under eight years under Obama, intended to be continued under four years of Hillary. Fortunately for America, Hillary didn't win, but the left is determined in ways they never have been before in American history to destroy this country as founded. That is where we are. In 2020 so for my sissy friends who say to me i can't vote for trump because i don't like his hair i don't like his tweets i don't like you know whoever he dated or whatever he's done in his personal life you have to understand you're voting away america's Freedom, future of freedom. That's what you're voting away in this election cycle. The left is as determined as they've ever been not to make sure their guy Biden gets in, but that Trump, the roadblock that stopped their tyranny is removed. That is their mission. Our mission as patriots must be to do everything we can in the seven days remaining till election day to convince our friends of the seriousness of this election, the importance of standing up for preserving America and recognizing the only way you can vote this election cycle to preserve America is for Donald J. Trump. I close this show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And I think Derek Wonderful has those. The dark winter of of politicized medicine, no one has or can have a plan to end a virus contrary to what Joe Biden tells people. Viruses typically dissipate and end themselves. Cases are not fatalities. Uh, or hospitalizations. They could just be people who tested positive and have no symptoms and never get any symptoms. CDC has documented very high recovery rates for those not extremely senior or, co- or with comorbidities, 99.9%. Multiple COVID therapies, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide among them, are proving efficacious by reputable physicians across the USA and throughout the world. Studies back them up, yet big tech, mainstream media, and Democrat parties smother all hopeful or positive news of any kind, including the takedown of a Walton video about the pandemic overreaction. State medical boards and hospital boards, act to prohibit the use of effective covid therapies. We are witnessing actions driven by a leftist totalitarian political agenda, not by science. Relentless ugly stoking of fear of covid is a leftist priority, preserving lockdowns, dehumanizing and desocializing Americans, attacking the spirit of freedom, self-reliance and self-government, turning Americans into snitches and sheeple. And I'm gonna do this next slide, but I wanna jump and actually put the camera back on and want to hit one thing if you wouldn't mind, Derek the wonderful. I want to tell you guys again. I hosted a conference in Dallas on September 26th called American Women and American Freedom. If you ever, I mean the people who came, it was were effusive because we have stellar speakers on the most important issues facing America really not just well-informed and passionate, but on fire to make clear to the audience that freedom is on the ballot in 2020 and it's going to be on the ballot for decades to come because the left has lost their minds in this country wonderful speakers katie hopkins out of england lieutenant colonel Alan west now the chairman of the texas gop dr kelly ward the chairman of the arizona gop we had stellar speaker after stellar speaker we had simone gold who you just We heard in this show last week, Dr. Richard Bartlett from a couple months ago. We had stellar speakers and the people who came are effusive. If you could not be at the conference, it cost a ticket to that conference was $150. If you'd like to watch the entire conference on our website, you can now do that for $10. It is a bargain you can watch each speaker their entire speech go to americacanwetalk.org americacanwetalk.org and you can click on the button that says conference and it's a mere ten dollars to watch all of the speakers i announced this just once last week and i was so happy how many people got on board said i want to hear this because the purpose of your listening is not just to entertain yourself at your computer although it's pretty fun to do that the purpose of doing this, of paying the $10 and watching these videos is because you will get talking points and information about the issues facing America that you can use now and the next seven days before the election to convince your friends of how serious this election is. And you can get talking points going forward in our battle to save this country. org for $10, see all those speakers, you will love it. You'll be so glad you did. Okay, now Derek, the wonderful, I'll go back to my last thing. Impending post-election violence, leftists are making no secret of plans to engage in post-election vigilanteism. Trump donors are being ID'd by zip code for follow-up intimidation and vandalism. Texas is sending troops, I didn't get to this story, Texas is sending troops to five major cities to help keep order post-election. Washington, D.C. businesses are boarding up in anticipation of rioting. This is like third world vote and hide coming to America. The left won't leave everyone alone if Biden wins. They are about Marxist revolution. The will of the American people can stop this. Politicians will bow to the people's message. We can stop this. There are vastly more Americans who love the USA than there are violent Marxists who hate it. Our job is to make sure more and more people understand that's where the left lives today. But we the people must stand up for America, for freedom and civility, for law and order, for individual rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness under God. And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. I'm Debbie Giorgettis, this is America Can We Talk? our website at You can go there in the homepage, click on subscribe, subscribe to the once weekly newsletter I do. You'll love it, it's simple, easy reading, clicks to all the great episodes of the previous week, interviews and segments. And on that website, you can also make a donation if you'd like to help keep this show on air. This is a listener funded show. I need your support. Donations one time or recurring make all the difference to this show. I would so appreciate your help americacanwetalk.org and now my friends thank you for listening to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time where I always talk truth about America because America matters and I will talk to you next time. America Can We Talk proof about America.